Amen. It was just last Monday on the 4th of July when millions of Americans across our country took the time to celebrate the birth of our nation. The reason why is because it was July the 4th, 1776, when the founding fathers of our nation, they published the official declaration of our decided independence from the tyranny of King George III. While it's true that the Continental Congress created the Declaration of Independence in order to, to, to declare our independence from the overreaching rule of Great Britain, well, it's also true that the Declaration of Independence was also a declaration of America's dependence on God. To prove my point, I just want to consider the preamble to this foundational declaration, which begins in this way. The unanimous declaration of the 13 United States of America, when in the course of human events it becomes necessary for one people to dissolve the political bands which have connected them with another and to assume among the powers of the earth the separate and equal station to which the laws of nature and of nature's God entitle them a decent respect to the opinions of mankind requires that they should declare the causes which impel them to the separation. Uh, Now, here in the beginning of this document, here in the beginning of the Declaration of Independence, we find the Continental Congress, they're appealing to the laws of nature as well as nature's God. They're talking about the Creator. They're appealing to our Creator as the basis for their belief that they had a God-given right to separate themselves from the political bonds of those who were attempting to dominate and oppress those who were living within the 13 colonies. And, and what this means then is that the Declaration of Independence was also a declaration of dependence upon our Creator. Well, here in our study this, this evening, I, I want to spend our time considering how the basis for our country's independence from tyrants can only be maintained by our complete dependence upon our Creator. And as we make our way through this study tonight, we're going to learn, first of all, that America's independence is dependent upon God's determined design. Uh, secondly, we'll learn that America's independence is dependent upon God's divine dispensation. And then finally, America's independence is dependent upon God's dedicated disciples. Well, with this as our outline, let's open our Bibles to Acts chapter 17. And as you make your way to the 17th chapter of Acts, I just want to take a moment to read the first paragraph of the Declaration of Independence, which the Continental Congress officially adopted again on on July the 4th, 1776. And here's how this reads. We hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal, that they are endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights, that among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, that to secure these rights... Governments are instituted among men, deriving their just powers from the consent of the governed, that whenever any form of government becomes destructive of these ends, it is the right of the people to alter or to abolish it and to institute new government, laying its foundation on such principles and organizing its powers in such form as to them shall seem most likely to affect their safety and happiness." 
Now, as we consider this portion of the Declaration of Independence, well, I just want to remind you that the founding fathers of our great nation were declaring their independence from the dictatorial rule and religious oppression of the rulers there in Great Britain. At the same time, well, these men also believe that our independence is entirely dependent upon the natural law which is created by our creator. In order to further explain my point, I want to remind you that the Declaration of Independence clearly states that we hold these truths to be self-evident. Or in other words, they're saying these things are so true that it's like nadoi. You know, it's like, it's, it's clear. And this shouldn't be something that anybody misses. These truths are self-evident that all men are created equal. We might not look the same, but we're, we all have the same blood. We're all created equal by God. Now listen, if it only stands to reason that, that these men uh, you know, believed that we're all created equal, if they truly believe that we're all created equal, then they must have also believed in a creator God. To believe that we're created equal is to believe that there is a creator. Yeah, they, they believe that there was a creator who designed us to be created in this way. The evidence of this faith in a creator well, it can be seen in the fact that 50% of those who signed the Declaration of Independent, uh, Independence, they, they were seminary graduates. 50% of the signers were, were, were graduates of, of various seminaries. And, and according to one historian's research, 51 of the 56 signers held to a Christian worldview. So, so there, there are you know, five of the 56 who had some other worldview, you know, typically deism or something like that, but 51 of the 56 signers held a Christian worldview. In light of this, there should be no doubt then that our founding fathers were depending upon the divine design of the creator who created all men equal. To further prove my point, let's consider the testimony of these men who signed the Declaration of Independence. For example, there was Robert Treat Payne. He was a signer of the De Declaration of Independence, and, and he was actually a representative of Massachusetts. And, and it was in his last will and testament, th these are his final words, when this faithful man declared this, and I quote, I am constrained to express my adoration of the supreme being, the author of my existence in full belief of his providential goodness and his forgiving mercy revealed to the world through Jesus Christ, through whom I hope for never-ending happiness in a future state. Incredible. Incredible statement. From this, we can see that Robert Treat Payne, one of the signers of the Declaration of Independence, he believed that the God of the Bible was the creator of men, and he was, you know, he was placing his faith in the author of his existence, who was revealed to the world through Jesus Christ. Roger Sherman, who was the only founding father to sign all four state papers of the United States, which include the Continental Association, the Articles of Confederation, the Constitution, as well as the Declaration of Independence, uh, this founding father once said this, and I quote, I believe that there is one only living and true God existing in three persons, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost, the same in substance, equal in power and glory, that the scriptures of the Old and New Testaments are a revelation from God and a complete rule to direct us how we may glorify and enjoy him. Wow. It sounds like a statement of faith. 
Without debate, Roger Sherman, this founding father who signed the Declaration of Independence, he believed that the God of the Bible is the creator of mankind. Another signer of the Declaration of Independence, his name was Richard Stockton. He once stated this, and I quote, I think it proper here not only to subscribe to the doctrines of the Christian religion, but also in the bowels of a father's affection to exhort and charge them, my children, that the fear of God is the beginning of wisdom, that the way of life held up in the Christian system is calculated for the most complete happiness. And to that I have to say, he said bowels. But, but seriously, when Richard Stockton claimed to subscribe to the doctrines of the Christian religion here, he was obviously subscribing to the belief that were divinely designed by the God of the Bible. As we consider the backgrounds and the beliefs of these incredible men, uh, there should be no doubt in our minds here that they were basing our nation's independence from Great Britain upon a foundational dependence on God's design which provides true freedom for every single person through the equality that God intended when he created mankind. Now this brings us to Acts chapter 17. Because I want to consider how Paul describes the creation of mankind and, and the purpose of, that God had in the created order. If you would look with me here at Acts chapter 17, I want to focus your attention beginning at verse 24. Here Paul declares, God who made the world and everything in it, since he is the Lord of heaven and earth, does not dwell in temples made with hands, nor is he worshipped with men's hands as though he needed anything, since he gives to all life, breath, and all things. And he has made from one blood every nation of men to dwell on all the face of the earth and has determined their pre-appointed times and the boundaries of their dwelling so that they should seek the Lord in the hopes that they might grope for him and find him, though he is not far from each one of us. Now here in these verses we find Paul, he's helping his audience to understand that the creator who created everything and the creator who created everyone, this is the same God who has given us life, breath, and all things. This is the creator of natural law. This is the creator of every single person. This is the, the creator of our, our entire bloodline. He's the one who has given us life. Therefore, life is one of our unalienable rights. We have the right to life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. This is all part of the design of our creator, intended for uh, you know, the, the blessings of the human race. And according to our founding fathers, the creator of the world had his hand on our country's independence over Great Britain. In other words, our founding fathers believed that God had empowered them to overthrow the tyranny of King George III. For example, consider the words of Benjamin Franklin, who is arguably one of the deists in the group. But here we find this signer of the declaration, uh, you know, really kind of leading us to think that he wasn't just some, some deist, but possibly a man of, of true faith. Let's consider how he puts this. And I quote him here. It is the duty of mankind on all suitable occasions to acknowledge their dependence 
on the divine being that Almighty God would mercifully interpose and still uh, the rage of war among the nations, and that he would take this province under his protection, confound the designs and defeat the attempts of its enemies, and unite our hearts and strengthen our hands in every undertaking that may be for the public good and for our defense and security in this time of danger. I, I guess from this you could say that there are no deists in foxholes. <laughs> you know, he finds himself in the middle of this revolutionary war and he's calling upon God to intercede and to come down and protect. Benjamin Franklin was encouraging every American to seek the providential protection of God. And the reason why is because God was the one who was providing them with the power that they needed to overthrow Great Britain. In similar fashion, Thomas Jefferson, who is also credited for establishing the separation of church and state, which many people believe is somewhere in the Constitution, though we haven't been able to find it yet. But uh, it was found in a letter from Thomas Jefferson to a, a Baptist church. But, uh, but this guy who you know, coined the phrase separation of church and state, here's what he says, and I quote him, God who gave us life gave us liberty. And can the liberties of a nation be thought secure? When we have removed their only firm basis, a conviction in the minds of the people that these liberties are of uh, the gift of God, that they are not to be violated, but with his wrath. Indeed, I tremble for my country when I reflect that God is just, that his justice cannot sleep forever. Wow. Thomas Jefferson here is letting us know that we have to depend solely upon the Lord because the Lord is the one who gives us both life and and liberty. And that's why we call these unalienable rights. These are rights that don't originate with human government. No, they come from God. And it's the government's job to protect these rights, to make sure that these rights aren't violated by tyrants, because God's wrath will be poured out on the tyrants who rob other humans of these rights. Now, in light of all these truths, there should be no doubt in our minds here that the founding fathers of our country not only believed in the God of the Bible who created all things, but they also believed that our nation's liberation, which allows us to enjoy the unalienable rights of life and liberty and the pursuit of happiness, that these are completely dependent upon the sovereign God who has determined to grant us these freedoms. And it's for this reason that the commissioner uh, from a uh, commissioner from, from Maryland, uh, Commissioner Fraser, uh, she was correct when she declared this. She said, if we cease to believe our rights came from God, we cease to be American. Just consider that for a second. If we cease to believe our rights came from God, then we cease to be American. More simply put, you know, Commissioner Fraser here was attempting to remind us that our country's independence from tyrants came from our dependence upon God's determined design, which is to bless those who will simply submit to his sovereign rule. And so we should. If we want to remain the America that, that we were created to be, then we should embrace God's design, which is to submit ourselves to his authority, to depend on him entirely for our independence from tyrants. The further we find ourselves straying from the determined design of God, the closer we come to finding ourselves returning to the tyranny of the wicked. And this is exactly what a founding father by the name of Patrick Henry was warning us about when he declared this. He says, It is when people forget God that tyrants forge their chains. Incredible. 
When people forget God, the tyrants forge their chains. Can, can you hear the, the fires at the forges being lit? I, I think I can hear it. And with that being the case, we must remind the people that uh, America's independence is dependent entirely upon God's determined design. Otherwise, the, the Christians in our country will end up being persecuted just like the believers who live in communistic or even in Islamic countries. And it's sad to say that this day seems to be coming sooner rather than later here in America. That being the case, we must also help others to understand that America's independence is dependent upon God's divine dispensation. And in order to explain what I mean by this, I'd like to consider something that Paul wrote in Ephesians chapter 1. So turn with me to Ephesians 1, and as you make your way to the first chapter of Ephesians, I want to take a moment to remind you that the, that the times that the Lord has already predetermined, we saw him, uh, Paul talking about that in Acts chapter 17, you know, that God has uh, appointed times and boundaries of our habitations. And, and within these predetermined times, uh, we find uh, various theological dispensations or, or dispensings of information. Uh, currently, we find ourselves living in the dispensation of grace, which uh, we also call the church age. This, of course, began with the outpouring of the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost. And, and it's during the dispensation of grace that the Lord is dispensing his grace to Jew and to Gentile alike through uh, uh, Jesus Christ. This seems to be what Paul is writing about here in this letter that he wrote to the Christians there in Ephesus. This has the focus. If you would look with me here at Ephesians chapter 1, I want to begin reading there at verse 7. Here Paul declares, In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, according to the riches of his grace, which he made to abound toward us in all wisdom and prudence, having made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in himself, that in the dispensation of the fullness of the times he might gather together in one all things in Christ, both which are in heaven and which are on earth in him. Now here in these verses we find Paul, he's writing about the dispensation of the fullness of times. And of course we live in this dispensation of grace or the church age as some might call it. And according to Paul, this dispensation of grace, which we, uh, you know, again, refer to the, as the church age, it's, it's this period of time when God has determined to dispense the riches of his grace upon those who will simply receive the forgiveness of sins through, the, through faith in the finished work of Jesus Christ. When we trust in the shed blood of Jesus Christ, when we trust in what he accomplished there on the cross uh, on our behalf, that's when we, we receive this dispensation of grace personally or individually. According to our founding fathers, this dispensation of grace, this is actually the basis for our country's independence. This dispensing of grace upon the world, well, this is something that uh, is, the, is foundational for our freedoms here in America. To prove my point, we should consider the words of our sixth president, John Quincy Adams, who was actually July 4th, 1837, this is uh, some 60 years after the Declaration of Independence was first issued. And this is when President Adams explained how our country's independence was entirely dependent upon the dispensation of God's grace. Listen to how President Adams put it, and I quote, 
in the chain of human events, the birthday of the nation is indissolubly linked with the birthday of the Savior. It forms a leading event in the progress of the gospel dispensation. The Declaration of Independence first organized the social compact on the foundation of the Redeemer's mission on the earth and laid the cornerstone of human government on the first precepts of Christianity. Wow. This is the sixth president of the United States. And it sounds like a a, a preacher in a pulpit. You know, he's talking about the dispensation of grace upon which our foundation is, uh, the the, the foundation of our our country is, is based. The sixth president of the United States believed that our nation's independence from tyrants like King George had everything to do with the furthering of the dispensation of the gospel message so that sinners throughout the world can be saved. You know, people complain about the colonials and how they came over here and imposed their their will upon the the natives who were just peacefully just getting along with the buffalo and everything. They weren't killing each other, no. And these, these, you know, horrible, you know, colonists, you know, came over and just ruined everything with, with their Jesus, with their Christianity. Really? This, this isn't God's grace? This isn't God bringing the gospel message to America so that more people can be saved? Remember, the Lord wants every person of every nation to call upon Jesus Christ so that they might be saved. And so you better believe that, you know, while, yeah, tyrants came over and and horrible people came over and did horrible things, through all of this, God also brought many Christians who brought the gospel of grace so that people could be saved. And, and, and there's a group of believers getting together here in order to form a more perfect union based on the truths of God's word so that more people can be saved. To further explain what I'm saying here, I want to remind you that the opening paragraph of our nation's Declaration of Independence states this, and I quote, we hold these truths to be self-evident that all men are created equal, that they are endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights, that among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Now, here again, we see that the founding fathers of our country not only believed in a creator God who has determined our design, but they also believe that the creator has also endowed us with certain unalienable rights. And in other words, these men recognize that the Lord was enabling them to create this more perfect union here in America so that, that the grace of God could be freely dispensed to all men here in the land of the free and so that those who pursue true happiness will find their way to Jesus Christ. America's independence from Great Britain was entirely dependent upon the divine dispensation of God's grace by which we are able to enjoy the life and the liberty and the pursuit of happiness that will bring us to the foot of the cross where true happiness can be experienced. To further explain my point, I want to consider the words of the declaration signer named Samuel Adams, not to be confused with the beer, Adams recommend, he recommended that a study of the scriptures in order to understand the basis of America's struggle against the tyrannical King George. This is what he said about this, and I quote him here, the rights of the colonists as Christians must or may be best understood by reading and carefully studying the institutes of the great lawgiver and head of the Christian church, which are to be found clearly written and promulgated in the New Testament. If you want to understand the rights of the American colonists, and specifically those who were Christian, it's all explained in the Bible. 
It's all explained in the New Testament. Samuel Adams, who, who had come to be known as the father of the American Revolution, was claiming that the inspiration for seeking to separate themselves from the, the rule of Britain's ungodly monarchy, uh, that, that, that it came from the New Testament scriptures, that they found their rights to rebel against King George III. They found those rights in the New Testament, which clearly defines the unalienable rights that our creator has endowed every person with. Another man, his name is Samuel Chase, who not only signed the Declaration of Independence, we also see that he went on to become an associate justice of the United States Supreme Court. This was a Supreme Court justice, and he described uh, the way in which the Lord's dispensation of grace had become the foundation of our national freedoms. And he did this by declaring this, and I quote, By our form of government, the Christian religion is the established religion, and all sects and denominations of Christians are placed upon the same equal footing and are equally entitled to protection in their religious liberty. Or, or more simply put, uh, Chase here is telling us that in the dispensation of God's grace, the, this dispensation of grace has created the conditions for our independence from any kind of tyrant who would come along and say, you have to join that church or you have to be a part of that religion. That, that's not God's plan. God has given us free will. He's given us free agency. He, he's allowing us to go to Calvary Chapel if we want to go to Calvary Chapel. Or, or if you want to go to you know, the Second Baptist Church rather than the First Baptist Church, you're welcome to do that as well. There's not going to be this, this state-run religious system like what was happening in Great Britain where it's like, well, you've got to go to that. You've got to go to the state church. According to the dispensation of God's grace, the Lord has given us the freedom from political tyranny, and not only that, from the religious tyranny of a political papacy. And as a result, Americans here are free to worship the true and living God in any Christian denomination of our choosing. I also want to consider what Benjamin Franklin meant when he declares this, and I quote, it cannot be emphasized too strongly or too often that this great nation was founded not by religionists, but by Christians, not on religions, but on the gospel of Jesus Christ. In other words, it, it doesn't really matter what church you go to so long as the church is preaching the gospel message of Jesus Christ. As long as the church is right on the essentials, what does it matter? It's not about being a religionist. It's about being a Christian who has embraced the gospel message of Jesus Christ. Certainly would seem as if Benjamin Franklin believed that the independence of America was actually an outpouring of grace which was provided to those believers who were looking for a place where they could freely worship God according to the gospel of God. What this also suggests then is that the Lord who previously determined to dispense his grace upon this nation will also allow the leaders of America to then hand our unalienable rights over to tyrants who would love to rob us of these freedoms. Yeah, we have that freedom as well. Hear me when I say, we have the freedom to embrace tyrants. And God has given us that right. And it's sad to say that the political path that our country is currently on is bound to lead us straight into the bondage of those who will not submit themselves to the God who gave us the independence that we now enjoy. 
But this has the focus. I want to consider a warning that Jesus presented in Luke chapter 11. And so if you would, let's turn to Luke 11. And as you make your way to the 11th chapter of Luke's gospel account, I just want to take another moment to consider the warnings that were presented even by our own nation's founding fathers. Because listen, the founding fathers of this country were concerned about the possibility that America might eventually lose our independence that the Lord has graciously given to us. Uh, For example, I'll just give you uh, one, uh, one warning here from William Penn. William Penn was the founder of Pennsylvania, and he once declared this. He says, if thou wouldst rule well, thou must rule for God. And to do that, thou must be ruled by him. Those who will not be governed by God will be ruled by tyrants. Wow. Those who will not be governed by God will be ruled by tyrants. Penn was warning the leaders of our country that our nation will either be ruled by God or our nation will be ruled by tyrants. And clearly our nation is not being ruled by God. So how long before we're ruled by tyrants, if William Penn was correct? President George Washington once declared, it is impossible to rightly govern the world without God and the Bible. Pretty clear. Washington was assuring us that our leaders must seek the wisdom of God, which is found in his holy word, in order to continue enjoying the unalienable rights that we've received according to the common grace of God. Daniel Webster, uh, not to be confused with the TV show, He not only served as a senator, but also he was the secretary of state. And he once said this, if we abide by the principles taught in the Bible, our country will go on prospering and to prosper. But if we and our posterity, that's us, America, if we and our posterity neglect its instruction and authority, No man can tell how sudden a catastrophe may overwhelm us and bury all our glory in profound obscurity. Wow. Seems fairly prophetic as we consider what's happening here in America. According to Daniel Webster, our country's independence depends on our dependent submission to the principles and precepts of the Bible. And Noah Webster, who was hailed as the father of public education in America, he once declared this, and I quote, In my view, the Christian religion is the most important and one of the first things in which all children under a free government ought to be instructed. So much for getting the Bible out of the classroom, right? The father of public education in America is saying that the, Chris, the Christian religion is the, the, uh, the most important and one of the first things that all children must learn. And under a free government ought to be instructed in the Christian religion. I actually have a world history book at the house that was printed by our government for use in public schools. It's from the early 19th century. It's a world history book that begins with the biblical creation, moves through the story of Adam and Eve, all the way following the Bible up to the cross of Christ and presents the gospel. Yeah, that was, that was printed by our government. 
and used as a world history book in the classroom. Why? Well, because the father of, it, uh, of public education said, this is what the kids need to learn. So much for separation of church and state, huh? Not only that, but he went on to declare this. This is Noah Webster again. If the citizens neglect their duty and place unprincipled men in office... Sorry, I had something in my throat there. If the citizens neglect their duty and place unprincipled men in office, the government will soon be corrupted. Laws will be made not for the public good so much as for the selfish or local purposes as oil is sent to China. Oh, no, I, sorry, I added that last part. America must be led by converted Christians in order to continue experiencing true independence because true independence is based on a dependence on God. And when we lose sight of that, we end up losing our unalienable rights as well. Remember, government is here not to give us unalienable rights, but to protect them. And a government that is not submitting to God sees no point in protecting our unalienable rights. As we consider the warnings of these early American leaders, it's important for us to understand that we must elect leaders who are able to recognize that our independence is completely dependent upon the dispensation of God's grace. And we must also understand that these leaders should first receive the grace of God by faith in Jesus Christ. So, so listen, I'm not just talking about conservatives. There are many conservatives who are complete you know, unbelievers and, and don't s- submit themselves to God. They just agree with conservatism. So don't, don't think that I'm just up here talking about conservatism, because I'm not. I'm talking about Christianity. We have a form of government that truly only Christians can grasp. Why? Because it's founded in the scriptures, not conservatism. And we ought to look for leaders who have first received the grace of God by faith in Jesus Christ before we call upon them to pledge their allegiance to the flag of the United States of America and swear their oath to uphold the Constitution. The reason why is due to the fact that those who won't submit themselves to our Savior won't be able to fully understand the unalienable rights that God has given to us. I want to consider how Jesus puts it here in Luke chapter 7. If you would look with me here at uh, Luke chapter 11. My apologies. Luke chapter 11, if you would look with me there at verse 23. Jesus says, He who is not with me is what? Is against me. But what about the gray areas? Hmm, I'm not seeing them. I'm not seeing any gray areas here. He who is not with me is against me. And he who does not gather with me scatters. As we consider what Jesus is saying here, it's important for us to apply this truth to our, mo- uh, our modern politics. You know, and, and as we do, we can quickly conclude that those in our government who are failing to lead people to Jesus Christ are actually scattering against him. 
And listen, those who are scattering against the Lord will oftentimes attempt to lead our nation away from the grace of God. The very grace that allowed our founding fathers to form a more perfect union, which has provided us with the right to life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. These are the very same leaders who cringe at July 4th celebrations but see no problem with taking children to a drag queen show. What kind of leadership is that? As we consider the large number of politicians who are currently scattering against our Savior, those who are currently leading us away from the foundational beliefs of our founding fathers, it's important for us to remember that our form of government is of the people, by the people, and for the people. And this brings us to our third and final point, because listen, America's independence is not only dependent upon God's determined design, and America's independence is not only dependent upon God's divine dispensations, uh, but America's independence is also dependent upon God's dedicated disciples. With this in mind, I want to consider again the opening paragraph of the Declaration of Independence, which reads this, and I quote, We hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal, that they are endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights, that among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, that to secure these rights, governments are instituted among men. It doesn't say above men. That governments are instituted among men, deriving their just powers from the what? The consent of the governed. That when, whenever any form of government becomes destructive to these ends, it is the right, here we go with another unable right. Another unalienable right is that it's the right of the people to alter or to abolish it and to institute new government, laying its foundation on such principles and organizing its powers in such form as to them shall seem most likely to affect their safety and happiness. Here in the opening paragraph of our Declaration of Independence, we find our founding fathers carefully explaining the we in we the people. We the people are responsible for maintaining a form of government by our consent. And that this form of government is, is based on the same principles that were intended to provide us with our uh, protection of our unalienable rights. That, that among these are life and liberty and the pursuit of happiness as well as the right to say no to a tyrannical government. In order to further grasp the responsibilities that the founding fathers were defining here in this Declaration of Independence, I want to continue to consider the beliefs of our founding fathers. For example, uh, Benjamin Rush, who not only signed the Declaration of Independence, but he was also a physician who served as Surgeon General in the Continental Army. He once insisted this, and and I quote, the only means of establishing and perpetuating our Republican forms of government is the universal education of our youth in the principles of Christianity by means of the Bible. God help us. Because this is not happening here in our country. 
Benjamin Rush, the signer of the Declaration, who was also Surgeon General in the Continental Army, believed that the youth of America must be instructed in the principles of the Bible in order for our country's government to continue to secure the unalienable rights that the Lord has given to us. Are we surprised to see the way our country is going? You see, the youth of today are tomorrow's leaders. And, and you better believe right now our youth are being indoctrinated into cultural Marxism. Gosh, I wonder what kind of fruit we're going to get from, from that tree. Noah Webster echoed the same sentiment when he declared this. He says, in my view, the Christian religion is the most important and one of the first things in which all children under a free government ought to be instructed. Now, we've considered that once. I wanted to reiterate this because it's so important. And parents, please hear me when I say your kids will not be getting this from the public school system. If your kids are going to the public school system and you're thinking that's enough for their education, it's not. It's absolutely not. And I'm not saying that you have to take your kids out of public school and put them in a private school. And, you know, a lot of parents can't afford that. But it's on you to make sure that they are getting a Christian education on top of whatever it is they're learning at at the school system, which is reading, writing, arithmetic, and Marxism. They need daily education in biblical truth. Webster went on to say this, no truth is more evident to my mind that the Christian religion must be the basis of any government intended to secure the rights and privileges of a free people. How about John Jay? John Jay was America's first Supreme Court Chief Justice, and he also declared this, and I quote, Providence has given to our people the choice of their rulers, and it is the duty as well as the privilege and interest of our Christian nation to select and prefer Republicans. Oh, no, that's not what it says. It is the privilege and interest of our Christian nation to select and prefer Christians for their rulers. Christians. Well, I'm not trying to elect a pastor. Well, good for you. I'm not trying to elect a pastor either, but when we go back into the quotes of these founding fathers, I mean, you know, half of these guys were seminary graduates. And 51 of the 56 of the signers of the Declaration were clearly committed to a relationship with Christ Jesus. And here John Jay, you know, one of our first Supreme Court chief justices is saying, hey, Christian, vote for Christians. It is our privilege and in our interests to vote for Christians to run this nation. Noah Webster also weighed in on John Jay's point by declaring this. He says, when you become entitled to exercise the right of voting for public officers, let it be impressed on your mind that God commands you to choose for rulers, just men who will rule in the fear of God. The preservation of a Republican government depends on the faithful discharge of this duty. 
If you want to preserve the Republican form of government that we have, and, and, and many people are confused about this because many people think, well, they're, they're, they're destroying the democracy. We don't have a democracy. America is not a democracy, not in its purest form, because a pure democracy is nothing more than mob rules mentality. It's just, well, 51% of the people said so, so therefore, that is not our form of government. We have a constitutional republic in America. That's what the form of government is here. And we elect representatives who go and represent the point of view of the public. And if you want to maintain the form of government that our founding fathers created, then when it comes time to vote, Noah Webster says, vote for, vote, vote for officers who have embraced God's commands and choose rulers who are just and who will rule in the fear of God. The founding fathers were correct to encourage us to become dedicated disciples who are electing Christian leaders. I, I truly believe that, you know, for the Christian American who has the right to vote, you know, that not all Christians have the right to vote where they live. We do. And, and when I hear about Christians voting for pro-choice politicians and stuff like that, I'm just like, what? Really? I can't even, I can't even begin to, to get there as I, as I read the scriptures and look at the sanctity of life. And how, how can a Christian, I'm not saying what party to vote for. I'm just saying I can't imagine being a Christian and going and, and, and voting for someone who, who is okay with terminating the, the life of the unborn. Now you got me preaching. When you become entitled to exercise the right of voting for public officers, let it be impressed on your mind that God commands you. That's what Noah Webster says. God commands you to choose for rulers, just men who will rule in the fear of God. The preservation of a Republican government depends on the faithful discharge of this duty. Christian, are you a dedicated disciple who is faithfully discharging this duty every time it comes time to vote? Because we should be. And one of the main reasons why is because unbelievers don't understand that our national independence from tyrants is completely dependent upon the Lord. Our independence is completely dependent upon the God who poured out his grace upon a group of Christians who sought to establish a form of government which was founded upon the truths of God's holy word. What this means is that Christians should be dedicated to electing those leaders who are actually walking in the light of this truth, and that takes a little bit of investigation. It takes a little bit of digging in. And I'll, I'll be honest, there's been times where I voted for third-party candidates who had no chance of winning, but I voted according to biblical truth and not according to who I thought might just pull it out and win.
To further explain my point, turn with me to Ephesians chapter 5. And as you're making your way to the fifth chapter of Ephesians, I just want to point out that when Christians choose to elect political leaders who reject the general principles of Christianity, then we end up electing leaders who fail to understand that our nation's independence is entirely dependent upon the Lord. And it's for this reason that Christians need to become dedicated disciples who are letting their political party know that we will only vote for the leaders that they put forward who truly trust in Jesus Christ. And I remember talking with, with one well-known Christian leader a couple of years ago about, hey, we need to really start a true Christian political party. And, and this, you know, best-selling Christian leader was like, well, it'll never work. You'll never get enough people. That's just pragmatism. Where, where is the Christian called to be pragmatic about anything? We've been called to become peculiar people. People that the world thinks are, are insane. We need to be more worried about whether or not we're being dedicated to disciples rather than can we get enough votes together to put our person in office. According to Romans 13, you know, God is the one who raises up rulers and he's the one who brings them down. We've been called to become dedicated disciples who are ready to vote for those who follow Jesus Christ and who are ready to expose those candidates who are still walking according to their own sinful desires. Yeah, we've been called to call out sinful leaders. I'll prove my point. It's here in Ephesians chapter 5. Look with me there, beginning at verse 6. Here Paul declares, Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Therefore, do not be partakers with them. For you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. For the fruit of the Spirit is in all goodness, righteousness, and truth. Finding out what is acceptable to the Lord. And have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather expose them. For it is shameful even to speak of those things which are done by them in secret. But all things are exposed are made manifest by the light, for whatever makes manifest is light. Paul here is encouraging us to expose those who would deceive us with empty words, to expose those who have their secret meetings where they do shameful things. We've been called to, to go John the Baptist on. Remember when John the Baptist you know, busted Herod for, for all of his sexual you know, immoralities? And yeah, he lost his head over it. Well, what does that matter? Well, he got a first-class ticket to heaven? Okay. We haven't been called to go along so that we can get along. We have been called to expose these perverts and, and, and these immoral people and, and, and these people who are, who are doing all kinds of sinful things behind closed doors. We're called to expose them with the light of the Lord. Our nation is plagued by candidates who are quick to tell us what we want to hear for the sake of gaining some sort of office. And they tell us all the beautiful lies up front and then do whatever they want on the backside. And while it would be nice to simply just believe their beautiful lies and go along to get along, Paul here, he's encouraging us to expose these unfruitful workers of darkness and we do this by shining the light of the truth upon the false beliefs of those people who are deceiving us with their political promises. 
What this means then is we, we must become dedicated disciples who look beyond the empty political promises that are made with big smiling teeth. And we need to examine the religious beliefs of those who would love to lead our nation. And I don't care if you're looking at the one side, uh, you know, that are lining up at the papacy to take some sort of communion while they then pass legislation to kill more babies, or the other side where you got the guy that says, I don't know that I've ever needed to repent of anything. Hmm. Okay. Regardless of their political allegiances, we must realize that the candidate who is rejecting the, the God of the Bible and refuses to repent of their sins, they're also going to reject the foundational principles that made this country the land of the free and the home of the brave. I like the way that our second president, and remember a signer of the Declaration, John Adams, this is what he said, and I, and I quote here, the general principles on which the fathers achieved independence were the general principles of Christianity. Sums it all up right there. I could have just saved you in the last 45 minutes. The general principles on which the fathers achieved independence were the general principles of Christianity. Not having a strong political party, not having popular vote, not having the biggest military. They were outmanned, outgunned. I mean, it, how, how did they achieve independence? Against all odds? Because they submit themselves to our Savior. The general principles on which the fathers achieved our independence were the general principles of Christianity. And with that being the case, we need to become those disciples who are just as dedicated. Dedicated to electing Christian candidates who will maintain the form of government that the Lord has blessed since the day when our founding fathers formed the more perfect union that we've enjoyed for many years. As we begin to wrap up this message, I just want to remind you that America's independence is dependent upon God's determined design. He's created us. He knows what's best for us. Let's just kind of line up with it. It works out well. America's independence is dependent upon God's divine dispensation of grace because it's by God's grace that we can escape the tyranny of oppressive tyrants. And America's independence is dependent upon God's dedicated disciples because it takes dedicated disciples, Christian, like our founding fathers, to take a stand against tyranny. With all this in mind, we can see then that the independence that we've enjoyed here in America was graciously granted to this nation because our founding fathers were depending upon the Lord for everything. And listen, those who want to continue experiencing the independence that enables us to enjoy life and liberty and the pursuit of happiness, well, we need to remember that the true independence that, that, that you know, comes from God, well, it's given to those who will simply submit to our Savior, Jesus Christ. And with that being the case... Every American will do well to embrace the words of Charles Carroll. Carroll was, you know, his signature is found on the Declaration of Independence. And this founding father once declared, Oh, the mercy of my Redeemer. I rely for salvation and on his merits, not on the works I have done in obedience to his precepts. Would it be to God that every American would receive the salvation that our Redeemer purchased there on the cross? Would it be to God that we would all rely on him for his salvation? The salvation that he pours out on those who trust in him.
Benjamin Rush, who also signed the Declaration of Independence, he shared a similar sentiment. And he did this by declaring, my only hope of salvation is in the infinite transcendent love of God, manifested to the world by the death of his son upon the cross. Nothing but his blood will wash away my sins. I rely exclusively upon it. Come, Lord Jesus, come quickly. Listen, when it comes to the everlasting liberty that we all desire deep down in our hearts, it's important for us to remember that every person must individually depend upon the death of the Lord Jesus Christ because true freedom is found at the foot of the cross. And with that being the case, those who want true life and liberty and the everlasting pursuit of happiness, we should simply depend entirely upon King Jesus because King Jesus is the one who can set us free from tyranny forevermore. Let's pray.